Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And so our sermon series has been Run Your Race. You know, we all have a pass set before us. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. We're all, we're all running the same path in a different way. We're all running the path set before us by Jesus. We're all, we're all running to him and behind him. And our races will look different from time to time, but we're all going the same direction. The choice we have now is whether or not we're going to run. And as we stated a couple weeks ago, sometimes running is just being still and knowing that, that God is God. There are times where we are running our fastest when we're just, un, we're just in that place of understanding. We're in that place of cognizance of God. Uh, we don't serve a God who's far off, who, who has to be manipulated to, to curry his favor. We serve a God who's here with us. And so we have a job to do. You know, we have to run our race. And if we're not running our race, then we're missing out on the life that Jesus has called us to. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And today, we're going to focus in on verse 2, the very beginning of that, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Most people think that Christianity is about what you don't do, i.e. sin. So you come to church, you you become a Christian, you stop sinning. That's just that's sort of a general consensus about what Christianity is like. You're going to come in, you're going to give up something. You're going to give up drinking or smoking or swearing or something. You're going to stop doing something that you knew was wrong all along, but someone's going to preach a sermon and you're going to be like, oh, dang, can't do that anymore. And that's Christianity. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is so much more. Following Christ is so much more than that. When you look at the disciples and Jesus calling uh, these men, these men from different walks of life, different age groups, uh, called to this brand new life, I think of men like uh, James and John and Peter and Andrew. He just said, hey, drop your nets. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And they dropped everything. They dropped sin. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 here, it says we, we got to get rid of that sin that clings so closely to us. But it was more than just Jesus walking by and saying, hey, stop sinning. He said, hey, come follow me. And so the big idea today, the thing I really want us to understand, is that not sinning is just half the battle. Remember G.I. Joe? Remember, remember the tagline? You guys probably, I'm, I'm the only one that watches cartoons. G.I. Joe, now you know and knowing is half the battle. Half the battle is just knowing the truth. Then it's acting upon that truth. But if we don't know the truth, if we don't understand what is true, then we're going to act in weird ways. We're going to follow weird paths. We're not going to be pleasing to God. We might be pleasing to our own sense of self-righteousness, but we won't be pleasing to the Lord. And if, if you're a Christian today, that's our chief audience is Jesus. What does he say? What does he want? How has he called us? What does he want us to do? Who does he want us to help? You know, our self-righteousness, whatever that feels like, really is irrelevant. If we feel fulfilled, but we haven't pleased the Lord, we haven't done anything. Imagine telling your child, go clean your room, and they say, well, I picked up that stuffed animal and put it on my bed. And you're like, well, that's not the whole room. Yeah, but I feel satisfied. 
You'd say, no, you didn't, you didn't obey. You didn't clean your room. You are now in sin for not obeying. Yeah, but I really feel like I've, I've done a good job. But you didn't. You didn't clean the whole room. If you've ever dealt with kids in rooms, I know my parents dealt with me in my room for ages. I remember I'd go in there and just fall asleep because they stopped checking on me. And I'd find a toy I hadn't seen in three months and be like, oh, this thing. And then I'd fall asleep and the room wouldn't get clean. So pray for my parents. <laughs> That's what they had to deal with growing up. But not sinning is not the, the all-encompassing, overarching theme of Christianity. Following Christ, dying to yourself, carrying your cross, this is what it means to be a Christian. If you will do those things, die to yourself and carry your cross, I don't know how you'll have time to sin, to tell you frankly and honestly. How do you carry a burden so like that and still find a way to, to kind of wiggle in and have your little place of sin? If, if you have a hidden sin today that, that is, is kept away and tucked away, nobody really sees it. It's still there. It's got to be rooted out. If you guys have watched the news over the last couple of weeks, this whole Ashley Madison thing, you guys been keeping track on that? Website where if you're a husband or a wife, you can go and find somebody to have an affair with. And we think, oh, nobody's going to know. It's the Internet. First of all, stupidest thing ever. If you think something is happening on the Internet and nobody else knows, you deserve everything you get. But what happens? Somebody hacks their thing and all kinds of, you know, hacking happens. I don't know what they do. But then they reveal and all these people are now being revealed as, as uh, being uh, adulterous. You can't hide sin. Sin comes out somehow, some way. So, so if you're lying to yourself today, please stop lying to yourself and realize this is something to confess to get out before God, to talk. If you're sinning against somebody and if sin is involved, you are sinning against somebody, go to them in repentance and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've been doing this or that, whatever it is, or, or sorry, I haven't been doing this or that. I should be taking care of you, but I'm not. I repent. Let me take care of you. But not sinning is just half the battle. The writer of Hebrews says, set aside every, every weight, that clings so closely to us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. And here's the key today. See, so often we, we just, whether we want to quit overeating or smoking or drinking, whatever, whatever our flavor of sin is, we, we tend to just say, okay, it's, a, it's an issue of willpower. I just need to stop. I just need to quit doing what I'm doing. And that, that's true. But here's, the, here's what's more true. In and of yourself, you are incapable of doing that. So often, people who stop smoking, what do they do? They start overeating. People who stop drinking, what do they do? They get, they get abusive and angry sometimes. People, I know certainly for me, when I start dieting and you, and you stop eating, what happens? You get, the, you get the hangry. You get the grumps. And you're like, rawr! Somebody's like, how are you doing today? And you're like, you bite their head off because you're so hungry. Because you're dieting, and that's that's willpower, and people are successful at that. But it's usually just it's usually just moving one focus to another. I'm no longer focused on this thing. I'm now focused on this thing, and I'm no longer doing that. But now I'm doing this. And so the Bible doesn't tell us, "Hey, just stop sinning, just be strong enough." The Bible says, "Look to Jesus. Look at 
Jesus. You're only looking at one thing at one time. For you multitaskers, you think you're multitasking. You probably are, but you're dividing your attention. No one thing is getting 100% of your attention. You have the ability to look. And the Bible tells us to look to Jesus. Why? Because he's the author or the founder or the pioneer, the trailblazer of our faith. See, he doesn't call us and say, okay, find a way to me. He says, come follow me. And then he blazes a trail before us that we might follow him. This is what I love about Jesus. One of the many things, but one of the things that's right up there, top five easily, is that he calls me to a path that he himself has already walked. He's not calling me to figure out the path. He's not calling me to map out the journey. He's just saying, follow me. Follow my footsteps. The Bible calls it a straight and narrow path, and that makes it very, very difficult. And if you're like me, you keep falling down. I'm here to tell you today that the falling down is okay. It just really depends on which direction you're falling in. Some of you are running away and calling it falling down. That's not falling down. That's running away. you got to call it out for what it is. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to your family. Don't lie to your church. If you're running away, stop running. If you're falling down backwards, you're going the wrong direction. If you're falling down forward, you're in the position of repentance already. Lord, forgive me. And I find so often that when you come to the Lord in forgiveness like that, that, that humility of saying, Lord, you're my God. I'm your servant. He lifts us up, shakes us off tends to our wounds. Paul repeatedly in the epistles that he wrote to the early church, he would continuously introduce himself as a bondservant. You know, because of our country and our nation's history, slavery has uh, is negative, and for the most part it is. It's, it's bad. Slavery bad. We know this. Abraham Lincoln, emancipation, all of that, right? But a bondservant is a willing slave. This is someone who has said, you know what, you have treated me so well. I want to be your servant. I want to serve you all the days of my life. Paul said, that's me with Jesus. I love Jesus so much. I'm going to be his bondservant. I'm going to be a willing slave. He hasn't enslaved me. I'm coming to say, Lord, I will be your slave. I will work for you all the days of my life. I am in submission to you. You are my God, and I am your people. You direct. You lead. You God, you say stop, you say go, you say yes, you say no. You are Lord, I am not. And so often, when we get caught up in the not sinning aspect, what we do is we make an idol of something. How many here in this church right now have something at their house that they would consider an idol? Like a statue type of a thing. St. Francis of Assisi, or you know, some, some statue. Probably not very many, right? But let me tell you this, that's not... The, the only definition of an idol. Here's how you find out what's an idol in your life today. Knock it over. Whatever is in your life right now that you hold dear, knock it over. And I say, oh, Pastor Tony, I don't have anything. Let somebody else knock it over. That's when you will truly know what is an idol in your life. If somebody comes to you and starts speaking negatively about something you hold very dear and you freak out on them, it's an idol. Go online and launch this little grenade. Say something about essential oils. Say something negative about essential oils. 
and you will have people freak out, people you don't even know are friends on Facebook with you, and they will come to you with statistics, and they will come to you with history, and they'll come to you with knowledge, and, and you can just sit back and say, you know, it, whatever. Idle. Go on there and uh, just say something about parenting. Say something about the military. Say something about politics. That's a fun one. Just say something semi-Republican. Boom! The internet will blow up in your face. Voice any kind of hard opinion, and you will find idols start falling left and right. And you'll see people just, they'll get very defensive. Even Jesus. This sounds really weird to make an idol of Jesus, but some people have an idol of worshiping Jesus that is that is detrimental to them. And they become so defensive of Jesus as though Jesus cannot defend himself. I gotta prove a point. I gotta share that image. I gotta call that person out. What Jesus has been defending himself for quite some time. I think he could do it without us. We're called to preach the gospel. Just tell the good news that though we are sinners, Christ died for us. That before we ever loved him, he loved us. That while that that we deserve the cross, but yet he took it for us. He'd rather forgive us for our sins than have us die for our sins, which would be insufficient in the first place. That's what we get to say. That's what we get to preach. We get to teach the Bible. And then everything else after that, I'm not willing to die for. Now, I'm not going to die because I'm a Repub diehard Republican or Independent or Democrat or whatever. Those things are foolish. They come to an end, and they're all wrong anyways. We're going to talk about politics and church. That's, that's like the faux pas, faux pas, right? My point is this. You don't, want to, you don't want to sacrifice your life for these things that are so temporal. You don't want to sacrifice your life for essential oils. You don't want to sacrifice your life for homeschooling or public schools or private schools. If you're going to sacrifice for anything, let it be the gospel of Jesus where real people will be saved. If your kids go to public school as opposed to private school, their salvation is not even included in that. Public public school kids can go to heaven and school homeschool kids can go to heaven too. That's not part of the requirement to get there. It is, uh, however, required. You know, how do you see Jesus? Who is Jesus? What? Not just what is he to you, but who is he? You know, if Jesus is only a great teacher, that's not... That's not enough, the Bible says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in the, in the Gospel of John. No one comes to the Father except through me, through him. And if we're going to be busy or we're going to be spending ourselves with anything, any message that we might have, let it be that one. Let's not make idols of other things. If you've made idols of other things, by all means, go and destroy them, smash them. That's what would happen in the Old Testament when, 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 when the priests, when they would start setting up these images to other false gods. A king would come in and be like, hey, we're not doing this anymore. And they'd go out and they'd have an idol-smashing party. You guys remember um, the Andy Griffith Show? Love the Andy Griffith Show. It's because I love Don Knotts. Anybody here love Don Knotts? God rest his soul. Thank you. Don Knotts was amazing. He was Barney Fife, right? And, and it was during Prohibition-era America. So what would Barney go and do? He'd smash up all the stills. And he just loved it. Like he'd have this feverish look in his eye and you start smashing them that's what we got to do to these idols in our lives we can't make room for them we can't just say okay stay in the corner don't make any noise no if it's an idol get rid of it here's what i find too when we destroy the idols that we've made about things 
let's just say our idol is is maybe work you know we're just we're, I was talking to my son about this the other day we were having this discipleship moment we were stacking wood and so we're stacking wood and he asked me a question about Jesus and and he was talking about how Satan tempts us with bad things and I said well you know Satan also tempts us with good things and he didn't quite understand it first I told him well look think about a man who spends all of his time at work and never spends time with his wife or children that man's taken a good thing and made it into a God thing it's now become the idol in his life. Now, that good thing is not – it's still a good – work is good. we got to work, right? Once you destroy the idol of it, though, you can now appreciate and love the fact that the Lord has given you work to do, that he has provided for your family. You can now see it in its proper light as opposed to making an idol of it. Because truth be told, whether it's a job or a spouse or this or that, whatever it is, those things come and go. They just do. Life is like that. We can't stop it. We're humans. We just do messed up stuff all the time. You know, Melissa mentioned how we've been, you know, men have been warriors for 5,200 years because that's who we, that's people. There's been war for that long because that's what, that's, that's our sin nature. It's what, it's what we do. We divide and we, you know, the, 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 some people get into power and they oppress or they take advantage of the weaker and someone's got to stand up and protect them. We wouldn't need that if there wasn't sin, but there is. And so there's things like war, and there's things like protecting and, and being warriors. We must overcome sin. That we must do. That's, don't, don't let that get mixed up in, in the message today. We must overcome sin, but you won't overcome it by sheer willpower. You'll overcome it by looking to Jesus. Often we sin so much because we're just fixated on that one thing. We're so single-minded. What That thing consumes us. And so what we've got to do is just turn our heads, look to Jesus. If the issue is something like infidelity, it's just not about, okay, I need to not be, infi you know, not be adulterous anymore. It's, it's I need to look to Jesus. If your sin's like mine, it's overeating. It's not stop eating. It's look to Jesus, and when I look to Jesus, the eating gets taken care of, or the not eating, or the eating healthy, or the eating right. If my sin is drinking, and it's just all about not drinking, you're still focused on alcohol, right? Just the non-consumption of it, you got to look to Jesus. As Jesus pulls you up out of the muck and mire of your sin, you are being healed and processed and being refined and being sanctified. So that you're not just, you're not just now an alcoholic in recovery, you're now clean. You're pure because of what Jesus has done. You're not just a, a, a cleaned up, you know, polished, you know, sinner. You're now a saint. Sainthood is really easy. Like a lot gets made about becoming a saint. The Bible says we're all saints because we follow Christ. We've been made saints by him. There's no application process. There's nothing we can determine to make it happen. He's made it happen. We were sinners. He took us. He, he changed us made us into saints because of Jesus, not because of us, not because we're really great. If God of the Bible is the God that he says that he is, can you imagine standing before him one day trying to impress him? How would you do that? You would never do that. He says, he says in the book of Isaiah, I believe, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I own a cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is mine. Like, What are you going to give back to me? What are you going to do for me that impresses me? Give your life to Christ. That's the only thing. It's the only thing. 
And we do that by looking to Christ. This is not just a head issue, this is a heart issue. This is this is knowing this in our in our in that throne room, that 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 holy of holies that is our heart and soul. Just changing a few bad habits is not gonna not gonna earn us any kind of earthly good other than, you know, stop eating, you'll lose a little weight, stop smoking, you'll breathe a little better, that sort of thing. Stop swearing, you know, kids can be around you. Um but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't do much good for us. The Bible says that we are all unrighteous. All our righteousness hangs on us like filthy rags. But God saves us so that we can do good works. Those good works don't save us. We get saved so that we can go and do good works in the right manner. Now we can go and serve and love without expecting anything in return. We don't care. God loves us. We want to love other people. Yeah, but you're not getting thanks. I don't care. It's not why I'm doing it. I just want to give because God gave to me first. It says that Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. He's the, he's the perfecter. He's the finisher of our faith. Let this Now, if it if, if feels like all this burden has been dropped on your shoulders today, here's the part where it gets moved off and back onto Christ. It's his job to finish this in you. It's not just his job or responsibility. He's the only one that can. Pastor Tony, I gave my life to Jesus and I still sin. I know. Jesus will fix that in you. Yeah, but I don't know how. Me neither. I, honestly, I don't know how to get you to stop sinning. I wish I could. The consequences aren't working. Something's going to give pretty soon and you're going to stop. And I don't know what that's going to look like. But, but Jesus will do it. Why? Because he's the He's the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who has walked before us. He's the author, the chief leader, the prince, the one who takes the lead. He's the pioneer. If it weren't for him, we wouldn't even know this path. We wouldn't even know there was a possibility. But we have Jesus. And Jesus loves you so much that rather than have you die for your sins, he would die in your place. That's the great hope that we have as Christians. That's the great hope that differentiates us from, from peoples of other faith. It's not our own doing. It's what he has done. It's not our own acts of faith. It's his act of faith. It's not our personal sacrifice. It's his sacrifice for all. He is the, the, the great Passover lamb. And so what we've got to be busy doing is looking to Jesus. Think about it for just a moment. For those of you who have grown up in more rigid uh, religions or faiths, where you've got to say certain prayers, you know, kneel, stand, face a certain direction, do it at a certain time of day, where we have to read from a certain book at a certain time with certain people, that you've got to go to prayer with a holy man in a holy place to have God hear you. Read the simplicity of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and look to Jesus. Just look to him. How do we do that? We do that through his word. John chapter 1 says that Jesus is the very word of God. That in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word is God. You want to know more about Jesus. It's not just the red letters in the gospel. It's the whole thing. It's the 
prophets of the Old Testament. It's the, it's the poetry of Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and, and Song of Solomon. It's the history of the first five books. It's the law of the Pentateuch. It's the, it's the letters from Paul to the churches and Peter to the churches and John to the churches. It's the book of Revelation, as crazy as that book can be sometimes. All of it's about Jesus, how much he loves you, how much he hates sin, but all he's done to build the gap between the two to where you're forgiven and you walk in the newness of life. So your challenge today, your, your mission today, is find, what are you focused on? And if it's not Jesus, let's get our eyes back on Christ. So as Mike plays Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, here's the deal. We need to pray. If it were so simple that we could just say, okay, and turn, I don't think that the Lord would have spent time in his word to direct us to do so. I think the point of this is, is that it's really hard to just look at Jesus all the time continuously. To turn your eyes upon Jesus needs even the Holy Spirit's inspiration to do so. And so I want to stand and pray with you. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We all need Jesus. And so today's the day we do that. Today's the day we give our life back to him. Today's the day we turn our eyes upon Jesus. Father God, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. And all we want to do today is look at him. All we want to do is focus our attention on him. Lord, we are, are a nation, a people, a culture that is so divided, Lord. We're looking at our phones. We're looking at our computers. We're looking at the schedules. We're looking at our jobs and our families and everything, Lord. We're looking in so many different directions. But today we want to turn our eyes back upon you that you may become the lens in which we see the rest of the world. That as we look upon the oppressed, we no longer just see people who are victims or we don't see people who are, are taking advantage of and we see that, but we also see that you've died to make that right and you've called us to help. That you have gifted us with so much that you have blessed us in so many ways that the very air we breathe, the very heart, beat of our heart is a gift from you. I pray, Lord, that we would turn our eyes upon you. Father, grant us this such simple yet profound request to look away from the past, to look away from the, 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 the fear of the future, to look past the circumstances we're in now, Lord to stay laser-focused on you. Praise you, Lord. Go ahead. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His wonder and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face.
And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his wonder and grace. Oh Lord, we, we need your help. We simply cannot just turn our eyes to you. If we can't turn our eyes to you, we can't run our race, Lord. We can't follow the path that you've set if we're busy looking left or right or behind. If we're trying to look ahead of you, if we're trying to, to just find some way out of this, Lord, I'm praying now that you would help us. Father, some of us need healing. I pray for healing. Some of us need strength. I pray for strength. Some of us need patience. I pray for patience. Some of us need wisdom and knowledge. I pray for that too. Father, turn our eyes to you. You are good. You are glorious. You are love. You are everything. And Jesus, we thank you that we can even make such a amazing request that we could even call on your name for something like this. We thank you that 2,000 years ago you walked that road of Calvary. You carried your cross. You were nailed to it. You were, you were beaten for it and you were killed for, for us. But I thank you that three days later you rose and you conquered that grave. That sin, that Satan, that death has no hold on you. And that in you we find that same freedom. Help us to turn our eyes upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.